Welcome back to the Vine Church podcast. Today, we will be continuing our devotional series, The Gospel According to Zechariah. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Good morning. Hi there. So, we're looking in Zechariah chapter 8, and it's just a couple of verses I want to mention to you this morning. So it's uh, Zechariah 8, and it's verse 18. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So I don't know if you've ever seen a politician trying to answer a question and um, they often don't answer the question, do they? They kind of go around and really they take the question as an excuse to really just give their agenda and what they wanted to say. And it's a little bit like this with Zechariah. A delegation back in chapter seven, verse three, have come to him from Bethel to ask him, should we continue with the fasts? of the, uh, the the Jewish festival, the Jewish fast that we have been conducting. And um, they're asking because, of course, they're, they're, they are fasting four times a year to remember the siege of Jerusalem in the 10th month. And then in the fourth month of the following year to remember the city of Jerusalem being captured. And then in the fifth month, the blackest day in Jewish history, the destruction of the city and the temple. And then in the seventh month, the assassination of one of their kings, Gadaliah. And so they're saying, should we continue with these fasts now that the temple's been built and now that it seems to be a new day for us? Do we really have to do this anymore? And what we find is that Zechariah doesn't answer their question. Instead, in chapter seven, he goes on a rant. It's a sermon. But really, he says to them, your fasting is useless anyway, because your motives are all wrong. And then if chapter seven is a stick with which he chastises the people, chapter eight is a carrot. In fact, it's more than a carrot. It's 24 carat gold. I mean, chapter eight is just packed with blessing after blessing, promises to them about the future. And eventually in chapter eight, verse 19, you can imagine this delegation looking at Zechariah and saying, well, and um, the question. And eventually Zechariah says, "Okay, this is what the Lord all says. Almighty says the fasts of those four months will turn into feasting and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Now, he doesn't really answer the question at that point. He doesn't give an administrative answer. Instead, he gives a prophetic proclamation about a future era that they can look forward to where their mourning will be turned into rejoicing. He doesn't say whether they should stop the fast, but just that they will be superseded by feasts instead. And so there is a sense in which we can say this, that uh, fasting is a necessary precursor to feasting. Sometimes pain needs to come before gain. 
And the reality is that God had had to deal with his people in order to bring them to a place where they will eventually be able to feast. And sometimes we can look back on the hard, difficult times in our life and actually say, you know, I am grateful because I did learn so much. And actually, it was almost an important setup for me to now have a time and a season of rejoicing and of more positive experiences. And so actually that's the case, certainly, for example, with our conversion. When we become a Christian, it is so important that we first of all mourn for our sins before we then realise the joy of our forgiveness. And sometimes the lack of heights of joy and faith that a Christian experiences is really due to the lack of depth of conviction and despair over their sin in the first place. We need to be a little bit like David, who in Psalm 32 verse 4 talks about how his bones wasted away with groaning all day long. But then in verse 1, he says, Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. There's kind of a mourning and a pain which leads then to a great rejoicing when he realizes the amazing forgiveness that he has received. And so it should be for us, you know, if we really understand the depths of the sin that we were in, we will understand the heights of his forgiveness and we will want to celebrate as a result. Fasting should, though, ultimately give way to feasting. The sad thing is that the Jews do still to this day continue with these four fasts, probably reinstituted at AD 70, and they still today are fasting. And yet we have a gospel. Gospel means good news. We have a message of good news, which is of great for great joy for all the people. This good news was prefigured in promises. For example, if you have time, do have a look in Jeremiah 31. And there's some amazing promises there that, again, the people of God one day in the new covenant will take up their tambourines and go out to dance with uh, joy. And it talks there about how they will, they, God will turn their mourning into gladness and comfort uh, them and give them joy instead of sorrow and satisfy them with abundance. And it talks finally there about how they should restrain from weeping for their work will be rewarded and God will return and there will be hope for the future declares the Lord. There are promises in the Old Testament, which, of course, are fulfilled in the New Testament when Jesus comes to give us a religion of great joy. Christianity should be a rejoicing faith. As Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, a moribund Christian is one that has lost sight of the joy of Easter and the resurrection. Christian whose habitual kind of resting face is a sour one have really lost sight of the empty tomb. And actually, I would say that when we come to church, it should be a place of rejoicing. 
It is, after all, on a Sunday, the day that the Lord rose from the dead. And why shouldn't there be clapping and dancing? I mean, you go to a concert and that's happening. We have something far greater to celebrate. Oh, death, where is your sting? We're celebrating and rejoicing that we are more than conquerors through Christ. And so we can rejoice in him. Now, there is a quick uh, interesting point to make here, which is that in Mark chapter two, it does tell us there. Jesus says, um, if I just could read it to you, that uh, the days of fasting will are over when the bridegroom is here. Um, you remember the verses there in Mark two. And uh, in verse 18, uh, Jesus is asked about fasting. How come John's um, disciples are fasting? The Pharisees are fasting. And, and yet the disciples are feasting. And Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as he is with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they, they will fast. Now, there's a question there. Was it the case that there was feasting whilst Jesus was around? Yes, he ate with sinners and there was feasting. But now that he has gone between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, now there is a time of fasting because we're waiting for the bridegroom to come back. And therefore we should be fasting. There should be mourning. There should be sadness because we're waiting for the bridegroom to come back. Or was Jesus saying that the the fasting period would be, be between the time of his death and resurrection, those three days when indeed there was great a great mourning because he had died. And I'm convinced that it is the latter that we should understand that verse is talking about, that surely those three days were days of great mourning and darkness and despair, which then turned into great rejoicing when Jesus rose from the dead and the bridegroom is now with us by his spirit. And so I think we uh, should be rejoicing a rejoicing people. We find that certainly at the resurrection, the women in Matthew 28 go to the tomb mourning Jesus' death. And it tells us that after they've encountered the angel, discovered Jesus is alive, it says that they run from the tomb with great fear and joy. That's what's happened to them. Their mourning has been turned into rejoicing. I want to encourage you today that God can turn your sadness into celebration. Sometimes it is tough and sometimes it's painful, but actually, you know, the resurrection changes everything for us that even in the pain, we can nevertheless still rejoice that he has won the victory. And, you know, God will bring you into seasons of great rejoicing and of blessing as well. We go through times of pain, but actually we have every reason to rejoice and there is time to fast fasting because we're longing for God because we're hungry for God but even in that fasting we are nevertheless also still rejoicing in God's victory I love just what one commentator says about this Elizabeth Achtermeyer she says that God comes to change um, Jerusalem's despair for delight her suffering for singing, her poverty for plenty, her ruin for restoration and her abandonment 
for his abiding presence. And so go on your way rejoicing today. And Lord, we pray that we will indeed be a joyful people, a rejoicing people, that even in pain right now, those who are going through pain, they would know a deep joy within them. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And may we know that strength today and may we gather together soon and may we clap and may we dance and may we sing and may we rejoice, we ask in Jesus name. Amen.